Well, Forefront, it is so good to be with you this morning. Thanks for being with us. If you're tuning in online, welcome. We're so glad you are tuning in with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's grab those and let's open up to the book of Acts. Be in the book of Acts for most of our time this morning. You know, I think we all would agree with the statement that words are powerful. Words are powerful, but the question I want to ask today is, do we realize the power in our words? You know, the Bible has a lot to say about the power of words. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 18, verse 21, we see that God tells us that there are death and life in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That there's power in words. But, but again, do we realize the power in our words? You know, I think all of us at, at some point can, can remember back to a time where, where maybe we've said something or somebody said something to us that's really stuck with us. And, and some of us have experienced the, the, the negative side of the power of words. And we, we've carried that with us. Some of us walk in today with scars and, and wounds from past words. And we realize that there are, is, is a negative impact to, to harsh words. But do we realize the positive impact of bold words. You know, history has been marked by bold, powerful words. You know, if you, if you go back and look over the, the, the course of time, you see that it's been the words of men and women that have inspired and united and, and changed lives. I think back to that famous speech given by Martin Luther King where he says that he has a dream. And that, that speech, those words inspired Millions of people who were downcast and downtrodden to find hope in difficult situations. I think of the words of Winston Churchill when he stood in front of the British Parliament and he said, we're going to war. But someday we'll look back on this day and realize that this was our finest hour. You know, movies have a, a way of capturing some of our most powerful moments. And, and for me, one of my favorite movies of all time is Braveheart. Any Braveheart fans out here? That moment that Mel Gibson as William Wallace is on his horse in front of the Scottish army getting ready to take on the English. And he says this. He says, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your bed many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Anybody else get goosebumps right there? Like moments in life are marked by, by words. And some of the greatest moments in your life have been marked by someone's words to you and maybe your words to somebody else. But, but I, would, I would like to, to say that as we think about our words and, and the power of the right words at the right times that unite and move and change and inspire, so I, I'd like to say that the right words at the right time are bold words. And we've been spending the last month walking through a series called Bold, where we've talked about how God calls us to be bold people, that God calls us to have a, a bold faith. And we've talked about how God has called us to, to have bold prayers and, and to live out a bold purpose, and, and that God is, is calling each of us to step out in bold action. But today, as we wrap up this series on boldness, I want to I get down to, the, to, to the, the, the finite point of talking about how we live boldly by speaking bold words. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I think there's a lot of moments in my life where I had an opportunity to speak a bold word. And I had the opportunity to, to speak truth to somebody or to encourage somebody or to help somebody in a difficult time. And 
for whatever reason, I, I didn't take advantage. Anybody ever been there? You knew what you needed to say right in that moment, but for whatever reason, you just didn't get to say it. See, why is that? Why do we struggle sometimes? It's so easy as for to sit and have a conversation about our favorite places to eat, our favorite mountain towns, our favorite, our favorite cafes, and where, where you get the best lattes, but yet we struggle when we need to share a bold word with a friend or a coworker. We struggle when we need to step in and speak to somebody who's been overly critical or harsh. We struggle when we need to talk to somebody who's fallen into a bad pattern of behavior. We struggle when we need to speak truth and to speak boldness. But if we know that some of the greatest moments in our life have been marked by bold words, and we know that power exists in bold words, then why do we struggle being so bold? Well, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know the answer, and it's fear. It's fear. Fear is what keeps us from being bold. You know, in, in the world of psychology, there's a term. It's called glossophobia. Say that with me, glossophobia. So this is the fear of public speaking. Anybody here struggle a little bit with glossophobia? It's okay. It's a place to be honest. We've got a room full of public speakers. I love that. We are just outside of the norm here. So three out of four people, psychologists say, um, struggle with glossophobia. 75% of people struggle with public speaking. If you would have talked to me when I was in college, I would have told you that I would never be doing this. I was just so deathly afraid of public speaking. Anytime I had to get up in front of class, I, I'd put my hands in my pocket and I'd, you know, stutter step around and I'd, I'd lose my place and all of these things. Public speaking's scary. It's only by the grace of God that I'm up here today. But, you know, I would be willing to bet that the, the number of people that struggle and, and maybe struggle with fear about speaking bold words or speaking truth or speaking words when, when they need to say them at the right time is probably even higher than 75%. Now, some of you are just bold. Some of you just live boldly, and some of us are a little brash, right? There's a difference between brashness and boldness. But the reality is that God calls us to be bold because following Jesus was never meant to be safe. So this morning, I want to spend some time talking about how we can overcome fear, how we can become bold with our words. And, and you know what we could do is we could spend a whole series talking about how do we be bold with our words. But today we're going to talk about what I think as Christians, as what the Bible tells us, as God's people is, is the, the most fundamental, foundational element of bold words, and that is sharing our faith. You know, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, go ahead and grab your Bibles and, and turn there in Acts chapter 1. We find that Jesus has been to the cross, and Jesus has risen from the grave, and Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples. And they've been talking about all these things, and all these things are starting to make sense for his disciples. And, and there's this moment where Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and his disciples in Acts chapter 1, they look at Jesus, and they say, well, Jesus, what's next? So you, you defeated death. You rose from the grave. Like, nothing can stop us now. Jesus, what are we going to do next? Notice what? They say, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, if you read along. So that when they had come together, the disciples, they asked Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? See, they still haven't really got it yet. They still think that Jesus became king so that he could take his throne on earth and push Rome back. And, and now Israel would be the, the kingdom that it once was under David and Solomon. So, okay, now, Jesus, now that you've risen from the grave and now that nothing can stop you, are, are you ready to go? Are we ready to go? Let's go take your seat on your throne. And notice what Jesus said. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But verse 8, 
highlight this, star this, circle this, whatever you got to do to this. But you will receive power. You disciples, you followers of Jesus, you God's people will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my, what does he say, church? Witnesses. You'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, you want to know what's coming? What's next? You are going to be my witnesses. This kingdom of God that we've been talking about for three years and 40 days, you guys are going to now be gossiping the gospel, gossiping the gospel. You're going to be taking the good news out to the streets and the byways and the highways. And then notice what happens. After Jesus says this to them, he gives them this mission, this calling. In verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And so imagine the disciples. Jesus ascends to heaven in this moment. And they're standing there. And, and just imagine we're all just kind of hanging out. There's 11 of us and Jesus. And Jesus goes up in the air, and we're just like, where did he go? What's going on? And then they look over, and there's these two men in dazzling white clothes. And notice what the men say to him, which is, is, is actually Really funny. And the men look at him, and the two men stood in them with white robes. In verse 11, they say, hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up at the heavens? Like, what are you guys doing? Just standing there looking at the sky. You guys got some work to do. And notice what they say. They're like, well, I'm sure they're like, Jesus was just right here. He just went up in the sky. I have no idea where he went. And they say, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. And I'm sure they're thinking, like, okay, when? Like, is he coming back now? Like, what time is it? It's three? Is that daylight savings time or mountain time? Not sure. This whole time thing's going to ruin our world, by the way. But they're just not really sure when he's going to be back. And they finally go home and they start praying and they realize something. They realize that Jesus gave them a calling for their life and a mission to be on. And that is to be the witnesses of Jesus to the world. And so they go home and they start praying and all of these things start making sense to them. But it is at that moment that Jesus said something really powerful that I think they didn't get until they went home in verse 8. I don't want you guys to miss it either because I think we have a habit of missing it. Here's what Jesus says in verse 8. He says that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come and you'll be my witnesses. See, notice Jesus didn't say, hey, I want you to go just boldly speak words to people and good luck, it's all on you. He says, no, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Meaning that everything you do, the bold words you speak, all come from me. And the results that are going to be on the other side of those bold words that are spoken are going to be from me as well. And so Jesus gives this calling, this mission to the church. And he says, go and be my witnesses and speak bold words. But I don't know about you, but that's a pretty scary mission. Because of all the things that Jesus tells me to do in his word... All of the shall and shall nots and the things that are good for me and the things that he wants me to do, this is the hardest. Because, let's be honest, I, I can, I can, get, a, I can get, a, get behind going and serving or going to a soup kitchen or going and serving my neighbors or mowing my neighbor's lawn or taking out their trash or doing all these great things. I can even invite somebody to church, but man, you tell me to go share my faith with somebody, that gets scary. That is really scary. But yet Jesus now calls me to be bold and to be this witness, and yet it, it, it's, it's, it's scary, and I get sweaty, and my, hot, my collar gets a little hot. And Why is that? Why, why do we get so scared when it comes to being bold with our words and sharing our faith? Is it because it's awkward? Yeah, it's awkward. Is it because we, we're afraid people are going to reject us? Yeah, fear of rejection is a real deal. 
Is it because we are, are afraid of being seen as some Jesus freak, some Bible thumper, maybe, right? That could, that could be it. But I think it's deeper than that. I think it goes deeper. Josh Connor, he's a pastor in Texas. He says that there's really five reasons that, 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 that we don't share our faith. That there's a deeper reason behind just the, the fear of rejection or, or the fear of awkwardness. He, he says this. Notice his, where he landed on this. He says the five reasons we don't share our faith is that we're not amazed anymore. That we're not gripped by the gospel anymore. Like when you put your faith in Jesus at first, who were you doing? Who were you telling everybody? I remember when I got saved as a little kid, I was the playground evangelist. I mean, I was inviting everybody to church, and I was telling them where they were going to go if they didn't go to with me to church. <laughs> Maybe not the best method of evangelism, but you know, I was I was zealous, right? I had some good energy. But sometimes we just aren't amazed anymore, and so we don't speak those bold words because it just doesn't grip our heart anymore. We've been lulled to sleep, as James says. But some of us, it's that we're not convinced it's real. Some of us, we struggle. We go to church. It sounds good. I'm just not 100% sure yet. Some of us, we say, isn't that what the pastors are for, right? See, for some of us, we just don't think people can change. We think they're too far gone. Why waste my time on them? They're a mess. And God would say, yeah, look in the mirror, right? We're all messes. But number five is where I want to land today because I think this is a reality for a lot of us is that we just don't know how. I think a lot of us feel guilty Moment of honesty. You don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to be honest in your heart. The moment I started talking about sharing your faith, a lot of you felt guilty, and I did too. Just the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts, and we go, yeah, you're right. I don't share my faith enough. And I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I'm walking the guilt trip myself. It's easy to feel guilty about sharing our faith because we know we need to. We know that Jesus calls us to, but yet we struggle with it. And a lot of it is because of fear, yes, but ultimately it's because we don't know how. And some of us have taken classes and some of us have read books, but yet we just struggle. We just don't know how. And so as we talk about bold words today, I want to walk through a really amazing story in Acts chapter 8. And I want to show you that sharing our faith isn't as big and scary and hairy as we think it is. But sharing our faith is something that God opens the door for us to walk into and that God is the one that leads to the results. So let's walk through Acts chapter 8. And then I want to end with something a little unconventional, but I'm going to leave that on the cliffhanger for now. If you notice, we brought our teaching notes back out. And so feel free to take notes as we go, but don't flip it over to the backside just yet. There's your cliffhanger. All right, flip with me. Acts chapter 8. We're going to read about an amazing guy named Philip. And how God used Philip in such a simple way to share his faith with somebody else. But before we go there, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time today. We thank you for the stirring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to, to recognize when we feel that little tension, that little pinch, Lord, when we open your word and we see that God's calling us to something that we're not comfortable with. Lord, help us to not feel guilty or shameful or, or carry around any negative weight on that. But let us, let us be freed by the fact, Lord, that you are in calling us to step out in faith and follow you and do something that we can never do on our own. So, Father, we're going to talk about something big today, something bold today. But I pray you help us to see, Lord, that it, it, it's all you, that, that you are at the helm of the ship and that everything we do when it comes to speaking bold words are driven and guided by you and we leave the results in your hands. Father, we know that right now we're walking through a really crazy season in a difficult world, and we have families at our church and in our families and in our workplaces that are walking through really hard times. And so, Father, I pray today that you'll stir our heart and our affection for people, to see people the way that you see people, to have a love for people, and to see that the answer to all the brokenness in the world is you and only you, that, Jesus, you are the way, the life, and the truth. 
And so, Father, I pray that today you help us see how important this is and help take off the edge to see that it's not something that we're called to do on our own, but we're called to do through you. So guide our hearts and our minds today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here in the book of Acts chapter 8, let me just give you the the five-second tour from Acts 1 to to Acts chapter 8. So Jesus tells Peter and the disciples they're going to now be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all over the world. And so they go back, they start praying. Something crazy happens. The Holy Spirit comes down. Peter and James and John start speaking. They start speaking all of these languages. And so people who are in Jerusalem at the time are hearing the gospel spoken in their language. And they get saved. 3,000 people get saved that very first day. And so then the church starts to gather. Momentum starts to build. And so now Peter, James, and John are going out and they're preaching the good news of the temple. We saw a few weeks ago that Peter and John are arrested. They're taken in in front of the the chief priest, and they're told not to preach Jesus' name again. And Peter and John say, I can't not preach Jesus. I saw risen Jesus who died and rose from the grave again. I'm going with him. And so they said, God, give me the boldness to go speak. And they went out, spoke, got arrested again, were flogged. Remember, Jesus got flogged before he went to the cross. They were flogged. And when they went home, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Crazy boldness. So they go out. They start preaching the gospel. They decide and realize that they can't minister to everybody on their own, just these, uh, the, these disciples. And so they start to promote faithful men and women. And they promote two people to note, Stephen and a guy named Philip. So Stephen and Philip are now really serving the church and working with the disciples. And something really bad happens to Stephen. Stephen gets, loses his life for sharing the gospel and at that moment, we meet a man named Saul. And Saul was um, a, a religious zealot who hated the name of Jesus. And he starts arresting Christians. And so the church scatters. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all over the world. How are people going to get there? Well, he used Saul in one way. The church scattered. And so we see later that God changes Saul's heart and also changes Saul's name to Paul. And he sets the world on fire. But before we get there, we see that it's Philip, just regular old Philip, goes off to Samaria. Samaria was north of Jerusalem. And now here's Philip going off to Samaria, and he starts just going around, and he's telling people about Jesus. He took serious what Jesus said about being a witness. Remember, Jesus said, you're going to go to where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So by chapter 8, Philip's in Samaria. And he's telling people about Jesus. He comes across this guy named Simon the Magician. This is a really, really crazy situation. He changes his life. People start getting saved. And then something really interesting happens in verse 26. Notice with me. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. So Philip's been doing these. Philip's just a regular guy. Philip's not some magical dude. He's just a regular guy. So Philip's been in Samaria. Notice this, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a a desert place. And so Philip, verse 27, he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So really quick, I'm going to walk you through this story, and I want you to see three observations of how we share our faith, three observations of what it looks like to speak bold words and share our faith. And here's our first one. It's this, that we should trust God to put you in the right position. So if you want to know what it looks like to share your faith or how you can tell people about Jesus or how you can be bold with your words, well, it all starts with trusting God to put you in the right position. See, notice what God does with Philip. 
Philip just isn't out wandering around aimlessly trying to figure out where God's sending him. God tells Philip through an angel where to go. And and let's be honest, we're not going to hear from angels, most likely, right? But God used this as a situation to show us that God directs our steps and that God sends us where he wants to go. So how, how do we start sharing our faith? How do we start being bold with our word? Well, first, we have to trust God to put us in the right position. You know, we, we talked last week a little bit about divine providence. You guys remember that? Somebody say providence. Divine providence. And what did we say? We said that God uses people, place, and things and puts them in the right place at the right time to accomplish his purposes. That's what God's doing here with Philip. God's divinely, providentially putting Philip in the right place to speak to this man from Ethiopia. Now, I'm going to hit pause for a second. I think a lot of us, when we think about sharing our faith, we get this picture that Jesus is calling us to be the street preacher. Or that Jesus is calling us to go cold, cold knock on doors, right? Or that Jesus is calling us to, to like go to some college campus and stand on the, the preacher corner. But I want you to notice the most effective way is just to have conversations with people. And then one of the most effective ways is just to have conversations with people that you know, people that God has put you in the position to talk to. And here's the beautiful thing. Each of you in this room, everybody who's tuning in online, God has providentially put you in position and put people in your life for you to speak to, for you to share bold words with, for you to be able to encourage and talk to them about Jesus. Remember, God is always interweaving our stories together. You know, there's a, a tool out there called the, the five circles of influence. And here's what I want you to consider. Where are the five circles of influence in your life? If you think of the five circles of influence that you have around you and you have in your world, here they are, self, your family, your team. This is either your team that you work with. This is the, 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 the people um, that you are sharing an office with or a cubicle with or maybe that are on your team uh, if you work from home. Your organization, the company you work for, this church, right? And then your community, the community at large. Each of you have five circles of influence in your life, counting yourself. And that God has providentially put you in position in each of those places. In each of those other four circles, God is working and he's put you in the position that he wants you. They're not there by accident. And so let me ask you this. If, if we don't see where God has put us, then all we end up doing is walking into our office and closing our door behind us and not realizing that God has called us to live on mission in our own mission field. If we don't walk outside and put our trash can out and talk to the neighbor when he's putting his trash can out or she has taken out her recycling, then we are missing an opportunity to realize that God has called us to live on mission. So God has providentially put us in the places that he wants to go, and he just asks us to show up like Philip. He said to Philip, hey, Philip, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to this road, and I want you to go, and he went. It's like Pastor Tony Marita says, that half the job of evangelism is just showing up, right? Just being there, just being in the position that God puts you to be in. So here's the question. What do we do when we get there? Well, notice what Philip does. Notice again, verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, uh, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her, her treasure. He was the, the, the treasurer, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Keep reading verse 28. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit of, of, of God said to Philip, go over. The spirit said to, to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip's recognizing that the Holy Spirit's leading him. So Philip goes over and he just talks to this 
guy, and he just starts this conversation. And I think this is the second thing we think about bold words is that God just wants us to keep our eyes open for opportunities. Like when it comes to speaking bold words and sharing our faith, God is, is just telling us, keep your eye open for opportunities, for the opportunities that I'm putting around you. God says, Philip, go to this place. Keep your eyes open. Philip goes to this place. He sees the chariot. God says, go talk to that man. So he goes over, and he sits down in his chariot, and he has a conversation. Now, here's what's interesting, a little background on this Ethiopian eunuch. So he would have traveled to Jerusalem to worship. And, you know, he was a man of high status. So imagine, these guys are rolling in in their bourbons, right? They all roll into the temple, but he can't go in because he's a eunuch. And according to Jewish custom, eunuchs were, un, were, were ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, so he couldn't go in. So he's searching for something. He's got a hole in his heart that he knows is there, but he can't fill it. And so here he is on this desert road in his chariot with a giant scroll of Isaiah in his hand. Where did we get the scroll from? I don't know. Probably not Barnes and Nobles. But he's got this scroll in his hand, and he's trying to read it, but he doesn't know what he's reading. So he sees Philip. God brings Philip at the right time, in the right place, with the right words to share with him what he's reading. See, right now all around you are people who are searching. This man was searching. This Ethiopian eunuch, he was searching. He had a God-sized hole in his heart, and he was searching to fill it. People in your five circles, family, friends, people on your team at work, people in, in your neighborhood, in your community, they're searching. And they're trying to find what they're searching for in all kinds of different ways. And we think we can do it by making more money, or we think we can do it by a new relationship, or maybe I can just drown out with drugs and alcohol, and I can just find fulfillment finally, and it doesn't work. And the reality is God is bringing them into your circle so that you can share with them the answer to the question and the, and the answer to what they're searching for, and that's Jesus. Notice what happens next. So Philip sees this opportunity. He sees what's going on in verse 30. Notice what Philip does. Philip does. Philip ran to him. Notice he didn't walk. He ran. He saw this as an opportunity. So this is what you're calling me to do, God. So he ran to him. And he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? So Philip just basically asked one question. You, you see what he did? Philip just didn't go in and go, well, let me explain to you the, 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 you know, the 74 tenets of how we're going to you know, talk about the gospel. Philip goes in, and he says, what are you reading? He hears he's reading something. What are you reading? Simple question. Open the conversation. And so Philip um, went over, and, and he went over, and he started to, to share with this man. Now realize that Philip could have made excuses. Philip could have been like, God, not yet. God, I'm not ready. God, I haven't finished my book on personal evangelism yet. I'm not sure what I need to say. God, I haven't, haven't, <laughs> I haven't practiced enough. But he does, and he just goes, and he says, man, what are you reading? I hear you reading something. What are you reading? And, and notice what happens. Verse 31, notice this exchange. And he said that the Ethiopian man says to him, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 30. And verse 31, the Ethiopian man says, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip up into the chariot to talk with him. Now, here's the deal. Philip could have never gone and knocked on this man's door to talk to him. Philip would have never been able to go just meet this Ethiopian man because he was a high up dude. He was the treasurer. For King, King, or Queen Candace, I mean, he was really high up. God orchestrated an opportunity for Philip to have this conversation. And so he invites Philip into the chariot with him. And all he needed was someone to teach him what he was reading. 
Sometimes you'll, you'll talk to somebody who's maybe new to church or who, who their grandma gave them a Bible for the first time. And have you ever met somebody and you're like, hey, I see you got a Bible there. What are you reading? And they're like, I like the maps, right? The maps are really good, right? They're, they're really fun. A lot of people don't just get a Bible and know what they're doing. That's why we believe so much in kids' men and our youth ministry. We believe so much in training up the next generation of kids to know how to navigate their Bible, to know the difference between the Old Testament and the New, to know about Jesus. Because I can't just give you this book and you're going to all of a sudden know what you're doing. And that's what this man's doing. He's in the book of Isaiah. Thankfully, he's in Isaiah 53. Thankfully, he's in Isaiah 53, another God-providentially moved moment, because Isaiah 53 is where we learn about Jesus, the suffering servant who would come and give his life for his people. Good thing he wasn't in some crazy story about Samson and a jawbone of a donkey, right? <laughs> or like some, you know, maybe Saul when he's like going to see the witch. Like that, those are not good places to start. If somebody gets a Bible for the first time, tell them to go read the book of Matthew or the book of John, not Judges. Just a quick, clear warning there for you guys. So he's reading Isaiah 53. And this is a beautiful moment. Notice what he says. He's like, I don't know what I'm reading. And so then they start reading together. Look at this, verse 32. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? God had been moving ahead of time, brought Philip in the right moment. Philip saw an opportunity, and he went in and just had this conversation. And this man was ready. He was ready to find out who is the prophet Isaiah speaking about here. And notice verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. He began gossiping about the gospel. See, I think God uses Philip here to show us something, that sharing our faith is really as simple as seeing an opportunity and then just talking about Jesus. Notice our third point. It's this. When we talk about being bold with our words and sharing our faith, it's just share Jesus and trust God with the results. Philip doesn't go into some crazy explanation. He just talks about Jesus. And I think that's the reality for us is we get so worried when people are like, hey, let's talk about our faith, and they start asking you all these questions, and you don't have the answers. Really, what is Jesus doing in your life? What do you know about Jesus? Share Jesus and trust God with the rest. See, so often life is like putting together a puzzle. Anybody here puzzle people? Any, any big puzzle people? A lot of hands? You know, when you're putting together a puzzle and, and you, you sit around the table and you start building this puzzle, what, hap- what, what typically happens when, when you get a new puzzle for Christmas? Put it together, have a good time, throw it back in the box, decide down the road a couple years you want to put it together again, and then what happens? What are you missing? One piece, right? Always missing one piece. You get a 500-piece puzzle, 1,000-piece puzzle, and you're missing one piece, what do you want to do? You just want to throw that thing away, right? It's frustrating. See, life's like putting together a puzzle, isn't it? We're trying to put all these pieces together, and we think if we can just fit all these things together, then it's going to make sense for us. But there's one central piece, just like the piece we always lose in our puzzle, the one central piece we're missing is Jesus. And that's the one central piece that everybody in the world is searching for, and they can't find on their own. They need bold words from one of God's people to share it and to show it. And this is what Philip does right here. And it's a reminder to us that God is simply calling us to share Jesus. See, what is really cool here? Don't miss this, church. Well, here's what's really cool. 
to share your faith, to be bold, you only need two things. Do you see what Philip had? You need two things. A Bible or a scroll of Isaiah. But a Bible for us works the best. And someone who understands the Bible. Someone who knows enough about the Bible to share what we know about Jesus in the Bible. That's it. Two things. You don't need anything fancy. You just need two things. That's really cool. We don't have to have all the answers. We just need to share what Jesus is doing in our life. I want you to see this. You guys remember the, the golfer Gary Player. Some of you might remember Gary Player was, was fantastic. And one time somebody asked Gary Player, they said, hey, Gary, why do you get so lucky all the time? Like, you just get so lucky out there on the course. And Gary had a famous quote, and he said this. He says, the more I practice, the luckier I get. It's just a good reminder that every time that you study the Bible, you are doing gospel training. Every time you open your Bible and you read the words of Jesus, you are doing evangelism training. The more reps you get, the better you get at sharing what Jesus has done in your life and what it's doing in your world. Notice what happens. Philip shares the gospel. He shares Jesus. Nothing fancy. He just opens uh, his Bible and shares the gospel. Notice what happens. Verse 36, the man gets saved. This Ethiopian eunuch gets saved, and they start going down the road a little bit in the chariot, and they come to some water, and the eunuch says to him, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Right there in that moment, Philip, the eunuch's like, Why wait? Why don't you get baptized? Like, I believe. Baptize me. There's no reason to wait. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way. What? rejoicing. Philip changed this man's life, but it wasn't Philip. It was God. God gave Philip everything he needed. He presented the opportunity. He put him in the position. And all Philip did was have to share what Jesus was doing in his life. And the Ethiopian eunuch put his faith in Jesus. And here's what's cool. This is the first record we have of anybody getting saved in Northern Africa. And so this Ethiopian man would have gone home. He would have told everybody about what Jesus had just did for him. And it would have started a wildfire in northern Africa that led to people like Augustine of Hippo, who would change the world through their words later, just like Jesus changed the world through his. It's a beautiful reality comes when we just follow God and let him take us where he's leading us. To trust God is going to put us in the right position. To trust God is going to give us the right opportunity. And when we see it, we literally go in and just share Jesus. Every single one of you in this room today, every one of you who are tuning in online, if you know Jesus personally, you are here or you know Jesus because somebody stepped out in boldness to share Jesus with you. Somebody stepped out and shared their faith with you. And now Jesus calls us to do the same, to be bold in our words. So here's the question I want to ask. I want you to, to ponder on this. Is what position is God putting you in? What do the five circles of influence look like in your life? And who is God putting around you? And second, what opportunities is God opening around you? As we close today, I want to do something unconventional, I told you. So take your teaching notes if you got them, flip them over. And I want to teach you guys a really simple tool when it comes to sharing your faith. So I'm going to uh, ask one of my friends here to grab a, a, we're going to do some whiteboard teaching again, like we did last week. I, I know you guys had so much fun when I got the whiteboard out last week. So we're, we're going to do that again. But I want to teach you guys a really simple tool when it comes to sharing your faith. Very simple, a way to start conversations just like Philip started called the three circles. If you're not familiar with the three circles before, it's a really simple tool that you can do on a, on a napkin at a restaurant. 
There's an app you can actually get for it. We've got a slide we're going to put up here for you to see. And it's a really simple way for you just to start a conversation and to walk somebody through what it looks like to, or to walk somebody through what it looks like to put your faith in Jesus and to really share your faith. So I'm going to walk you through this real quick. It's called the three circles. So on your teaching notes, if you guys follow along, take some notes. So let's say you're having a conversation with somebody and you're talking with a friend. You're having coffee with a friend or you're talking over the fence with a neighbor. Or maybe you're, you're just sitting at home with your, with your sister or you, an aunt and you just start talking about um, life and all that's going on. The three circles gives you a really easy way to transition our normal conversation into a gospel conversation. So I'm going to walk you through it simply and then we're actually going to demonstrate what that looks like. But here's the three circles. The first one is God's design. We see that the Bible tells us at the very beginning that when God created everything, he made everything perfect. The book of Genesis tells us that when God made the world, when he made everything in it, he said it was good. That God made everything perfect and God created his people to walk in perfect harmony with him. That everything was built to be that perfect relationship, harmonious in every single way, but, but something happened. Sin entered the world. And sin came in the world, and what sin did was sin led to brokenness. The world was broken. We were broken. There are two ends in brokenness, by the way. I had to double check. The, sin, the world is broken. We are broken. Relationships are broken. But what happens when we experience and feel brokenness in our lives is we try to fix and solve that brokenness ourselves. And so we try all these different ways to fix our own brokenness. We try to add a new relationship. We maybe think we need to change careers. Maybe we try to, to, to fill our brokenness by going out and buying stuff or, or going out and, and drinking or, 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 or drugs or you know, whatever we can do to self-medicate. We try to solve and fix our own brokenness in so many different ways. But what we know is it never works. Solving brokenness on our own never works. But God tells us the only solution to the brokenness that we experience is the good news of Jesus. It's the gospel. And the gospel is just a Bible word for good news. And the, the good news that God tells us is that, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus here for us to this earth to live the life we could never live. And, and to, to be the, 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 perfect, uh, the perfect person. He never sinned. He did everything according to the way God would call him to live. And he went to the cross and he traded places with us and gave his life for us. But then he rose from the grave demonstrating that he is God. Demonstrating that everything he said about himself is true. And demonstrating that he's worthy of our trust and our faith. And what the Bible tells us is that if we will repent, which means to, to turn, to turn from trying to solve our brokenness ourselves, to turn from trying to fix everything ourselves, if we would repent and believe, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who lived the perfect life and gave his life for us on the cross and rose from the grave, if we will do that, then we will be transformed, that we will be saved, that, that that hole in our heart will be filled with Jesus. And because of that, we will be able at that point to recover and pursue God's design in our life. 
See, the reality is that, that, that we know that, that brokenness has messed everything up, but we can't go this way in the, in the circle. We can't recover God's design on our own but that we need Jesus to help us to do that. And when we know Jesus, we can recover and we can, we can pursue God's design for our life. Now, that took me about three minutes to explain this tool to you. It's really simple. And you can have a conversation at a coffee shop with a cocktail napkin. You can pull out a notebook. Like I said, there's an app that will send out to all of you that you can, you can share it with. But really a simple way to start a conversation. So, I want to demonstrate what that conversation looks like with the, the rest of our time today. So, forefront, I'm going to invite Mr. Pete McKean on stage. Let's give Pete a little welcome here. Fancy. All right. Okay, guys, so I know a little bit unconventional here, but what we're going to do is we are going to model what this looks like for you to have a conversation with a friend or a coworker or, or someone in your family. So just pretend with us for a moment that Pete and I are, uh, are old friends, which we are, old friends, and we're having a coffee at a coffee shop just talking about life, talking about what's going on, enjoying a nice iced dolce de leche latte from Cafe Olay, right? They did not pay me to say that, by the way. And so we're just having a conversation, and I say something like this to Pete. Hey, Pete, man, how's, how's life going? What's, what's going on in your world right now? Gosh, you know, if I'm honest, home life has been troubling. Work life has been troubling. I'm just looking for that glimmer of hope. Yeah. You know, man, I've been there so many times. You know, and there's, there's just different seasons in life, man, where these things seem so hard. But I found something really helpful for me. Oh, yeah? C could I share it with you? Sure. And so imagine I'm writing on a cocktail napkin or I'm writing on the back of a piece of paper. You know, Pete, one of the things that I found really helpful was this, this thing that I, I learned at, at church called the, the three circles. And, and really, it, it's just, man, it's so simple, but I think it helps me explain kind of what was going on in my life. You know, the Bible tells us that God has a design for life, that when God created everything, everything was made to be perfect, and our relationships were made to be right. You know, health was made to be right. Everything was made to be perfect, but unfortunately, sin came into the world. You know, we, we know when, when Adam and Eve first sinned, sin came in the world and it just broke that relationship with God and it, it, it broke our, our relationships with each other. And, and what has happened from that is we just live in this world now where there's just so much brokenness around us. And I don't know about you, but in my own life, I've tried to fix my own brokenness and it just never seems to work. You know, I, I tried to new relationships and I fell into all these different things that just weren't healthy for me, but nothing ever seemed to to work. I just felt like the further I tried to fix my brokenness, the worse it got. But then I, 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 I heard something amazing. I heard that, that, that God sent Jesus here for me to come and show me, one, what God's design was for my life. But then I realized I couldn't do that on my own. Jesus came and he gave his life for me. He went to the cross, and he took my sin, and when he rose from the grave, he gave me life. And one of the beautiful things that I realize is that with what Jesus did for me, if, if I repent, and I just realize that I can't do it on myself, and I turn from my ways, and I believe what Jesus did for me, that he is the, 
the son of God who died on the cross and rose from the grave, that he saves me and he changes my life. And my brokenness can actually be fixed. I can't fix it on my own, but Jesus can help me. And the really beautiful thing is now that I have Jesus in my life, things aren't perfect. Things are still oftentimes messy, but God's given me now the ability to, um, to recover and pursue God's design in my life. And this is an ongoing process, but the more I try to recover and pursue God's design for my life, the more I realize that, well, I can't fix my brokenness, Jesus can. So, Pete, I just wanted to share this with you. I know it's a lot, but, you know, I just, man, I'll be praying for you and your situation and whatever you're working through, but, man, I just encourage you to, to think about what, what maybe God might be speaking to you on. You know, you know, Pete, if I had to ask you, where on this diagram would you find yourself right now? Based on what I'm feeling, uh, I'm probably caught in this brokenness circle. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. But the good news is that Jesus loved you so, loves you so much he came and gave his life for you. I mean, I'll be praying for you this week, Pete, and I just pray maybe that here, take this with you and pray over it and think about it, man, and I hope God uses it to, to help encourage you to, uh, to, to seek him. All right, then. Yeah. Catch you later. All right. Go Bills. Church, let's put our hands together for Mr. Pete here. Does it take boldness to share that? It does. Does it take preparation and reps to share it? It does. Is it simple? It is. And all you need is a pen and a piece of paper or the app on your phone. So if you go to the app store, you can look it up. It's called Life on Mission. It's really simple. It's really great. And actually, it's super easy. So you can walk through it and you can just take it through the three circles and you don't even need a pen and a napkin or a whiteboard. So here's my challenge for you, four friend, as we talk through this idea of speaking bold words and sharing our faith. Here's my, here's my challenge to you. I want you to first think about who has God put in your life? Who has God put in your circle that he is presenting opportunities to you to be able to speak bold words to and to share your faith to? And this week, as you're praying on opportunities that God's put in front of you, I encourage you, take your paper home, download the app, and practice this on, on your spouse especially your kids. Your kids can't get away. So if you've got kids, practice it on your kids. Grab a family member. Grab a friend that you know is a believer and practice this because the more reps we get at this, the better we get at this. Amen? You got it? If you got it, say you got it. Hey, it's been uh, fun walking through this bold series, but let me pray for us, for God to use us to pray and speak bold words.